Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to Unprecedented, the new podcast hosted by me, journalist Angelica Malin. Unprecedented times call for unprecedented support. And through this twice-weekly mini-series, I'll be chatting to the leading lights in a variety of fields about how not just to survive COVID-19, but thrive. Whether it's getting a grip on your anxiety, navigating a change in your work situation, or managing your money, this podcast will provide the insights and expertise needed to help you through these strange and challenging times. Rebecca Reed is the former digital editor of Grazia and author of Perfect Liars and Truth Hurts. And Lucy Vine is a writer, editor and columnist. She's also the best-selling author of Hot Mess, What Fresh Hell and Are We Nearly There Yet? Guys, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Should we do the thing where we can identify which ones are which voices? Rebecca, do you want to say something so listeners know who you are? I'm Rebecca. This is what I sound like. <laughs> we probably sound quite similar. Do you want me to put on an accent, a really offensive accent? I, really, okay. I think you're right. I think we do actually sound quite similar. Do you want to be fine? <laughs> Lucy, if you were to do an accent consistently for the next half an hour, which, which one would you be most confident doing? Um, I'm going to do a certificate accent. Oh, that's very good. <laughs> can you, do you think you can keep that up? Fucking prawns. Are we allowed to swear? Um, yeah, I think we're allowed to swear. <laughs> haven't checked with my producer, but I think so. <laughs> okay, guys. So just kicking off, I would like to know, because that's how we start every episode. How are you doing? Bex, how are you doing today? How are you feeling? So it oscillates. I am alternative, alternately absolutely fine, really calm, super productive, painting watercolours. House has never been cleaner. Just, just love and life. And then alternatively, we're having quite regular panic attacks. Um, have had to up my dosage of beta blockers without consulting a doctor, very irresponsible, and um, just sometimes sit on the floor and cry. So mm. I think I'm a real picnic to live with. <laughs> I too have done the thing with the beta blockers, just popping them for breakfast. I mean, I, I also then I found out that you're not supposed to take them if you have asthma, which is a respiratory condition. So then I became obsessed that beta blockers might make my corona that I don't have worse. Uh, so that was a good hour of, of googling panicking and crying I yeah real, real picnic and Lucy how are you um I'm very <laughs> no, but me. I'm, I, I've been a bit more compulsive than usual since the lockdown like a lot of reading the news but otherwise I'm fine there's, there's actually I actually feel like some weird guilt about being okay mm. but I feel like a lot of my life is a lockdown anyway I'm, I'm quite a homebody and I don't really like seeing other people <laughs> so I don't know but I, it is weird weird I just keep sort of talking about how weird it is <laughs> but yeah but yeah yeah I'm great how who are, you, who are you who are you locked down with um well I was just saying to them to these guys um I I'm in lockdown kind of with a with my new boyfriend <laughs> oh very nice we've been together like uh four and a half five months um when this all started and we obviously decided to go well we we it was too soon to move in together but we went into lockdown together but it was also weird because he was completing on a house he was buying a house during and it was due to complete like two weeks into the lockdown and and nobody was really sure if that was going to carry on and happen but it did happen so then we had to sort of move him in so we've kind of been a bit naughty because we've kind of been back and forth between my house and his because he's obviously having to move house Mm um so kind of half in lockdown with a boyfriend weird how about very nice you're sort of like a metro article in waiting i know right (laughs) 
um yeah I'm okay I'm just isolating with a house plant um and it's okay it doesn't it doesn't give me a lot of hard time it doesn't really answer me back so I found generally I'm all right it took me a really long time to realize that you were on your own I'm not sure how I genuinely don't know how I didn't realize that and then you posted something I was like oh my god Angelica's on her own yeah well I think it's because I live I am somewhat cheating by living in a building with my family so although I haven't seen them we do live in the same building a bit of a Mrs. Maisel setup so I don't feel quite as alone I think as people who live on their own completely to be honest, I am, and don't get me wrong, I adore my husband, but I am really missing being alone because I work from home on my own Monday through Friday. He, you know, he's gone by nine and he's home, you know, a bit after six. So I'm used to having huge chunks of time with me in my house alone writing. Um, yeah. and, and I'm really, I'm missing that space. I'm finding that really difficult. Mm, well, it brings me on neatly to the topic I'd like to talk about today, which is creativity. Firstly, I'd like to know from both of you, how do you feel that COVID has affected your creativity, if at all? Bex, how have you found it has affected things? Um, so I, I've i actually left Twitter, at least I'm trying to break up. I'm trying to consciously unco- uncouple with Twitter um, <laughs> because it makes my anxiety very, very bad. But um, when I was sort of most recently on it, one of the things that I was seeing a lot of people talking about was like, you know, using this time positively and being creative. And this is the time to finally write your book. And some wanker had said something about if you don't come out of this with a fully completed novel, then you didn't lack the time, you lack the mm. motivation. Um, and I would just say, you know, I've I've written uh two published fiction one about to publish non-fiction and one unpublished fiction. so I've written four four and a half five books in my life um and the one that I've written in lockdown has been the hardest that I've ever written um really it's a it's a totally different thing and and you know yes some of writing is sitting in your ivory tower putting the words on paper but a lot of creating is being in the world observing things listening to the cadence of how people speak and the uh, interactions that people have in the shop queue in front of you and all of these things um, and also it's about letting your mind wander and grow and explore which is very difficult to do when the only thing anybody talks about is is COVID-19 so I would say that uh, it's been a really uphill battle creativity has been the thing that has saved me it's been my crutch it's been my hobby it's been everything but it's also been harder work than ever before so if you are struggling to be creative please 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 don't think that it's you or that you wouldn't be able to do it under usual circumstances. That's so interesting what you say, because you're right, you know, you're getting inspiration from the outside world. And if at the moment we're not able to go out and have conversations and see interactions, then what you're basically relying on is pulling on memory of those things, which is obviously a lot harder. Um, Lucy, how about you? How about you with COVID and how it's affected your sense of creativity? Yeah, um, that's just, I'm just really impressed with what Bex just said. It was just oh, so spot on. Yeah, I really, really struggled the first few weeks, um, mostly because I was just so distracted. I mean, it's it's just so weird what's going on out there. Um, I was just reading the news compulsively and uh, just couldn't do anything at all. And, I, and then there's always that sort of crushing guilt about not doing anything. And then that makes it even harder to do anything. It's a, it's a bit of a vicious circle. But I am actually doing so much better these last two weeks, um, thankfully, at last. <laughs> and what do you think changed that? Was it just reading less news? Well, I did have to sort of make a decision to stop reading so much. Um, but um, an author friend of mine, I was talking to her about the fact that I was struggling so much. And she suggested we start doing word races every day, um, which is amazing. I, I've Because lots of lovely authors in my life have, have offered before when I've said, oh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm really struggling at the moment. And they've said, oh, do you want to bounce some ideas off me? Do you want me to read some stuff and give you some help or anything? And, and I'm always quite resistant to that. I've always said, no, thank you, because I, I feel really weird about people reading work in progress. And, and I just get really tense about that but the idea of actually just doing a word race so we check in at 11 a.m in the morning and we kind of go uh, say go um and then we're just writing just chucking words on a page for a solid hour and then we come back in and we say how many words have you done oh that's amazing you've done really well and it's just transformed it for me um it's been amazing so we've been doing like an hour at 11 and then an hour at like four or three or whatever in the afternoon and it's it's been so good like the guilt has finally 
lifted and it's just been such a creative couple of weeks I'm feeling amazing about it I'm so grateful to her for suggesting it that's <laughs> such it? a good idea I feel yeah. like there's there's so much about that 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 people can take from and learn from um and I think so uh, I have done a couple of courses um with the Arvin Foundation where you kind of go away to the countryside and do writing for a week um, and a lot of it you know it's led by tutors it's all very helpful but the thing that I found most helpful of all is that every morning you would do between sort of 15 and 20 minutes of free writing where it's just silence but you're in a room full of people almost like you're taking an exam just scribbling and I think that sense of like writing in chorus with somebody else and that like whether you're doing it in physical person or you know other sides of the country I think is it just really really helps to give you focus so I think that's I've I've never done a word race with anybody but I think that's genius I definitely want to try that absolutely because I think for so many people it's the and I I felt this for sure with creative writing it's the need for it to be perfect before it kind of gets on the page and I find it hard to step away from being critical in the process of writing and wanting it to be really good rather than just putting words down and I, I find it hard to step away from that criticism which I imagine is quite common um, when you're starting out do you have um, any other tips um, either of you uh, basically in particular for for overcoming the process of like a creative block well I would say just to what you were saying before about sort of that that inner critic you do really have to tell the inner critic to shut the fuck up because whatever you write down first probably won't be good anyway doesn't matter how much you talk to yourself the chances are like I think Terry Pratchett said had this thing about your first draft is to tell yourself the story and then you go back in. Um, I mean, so I write about 8,000 words a day. I write really, really quickly. Um, So I will write a first draft of a book in two weeks, like slightly less than two weeks sometimes. Um, And a lot of the time when I tell people that, they're like, oh my God, that's so much, that's so fast. A part of it is because I was trained as a journalist, so I'm used to churning out words all day, every day. But another part of it is just the idea that I don't stop, I don't reread, I don't pause, I don't edit. I just literally mash my hands against the keyboard until the frame of the story is on the page. And then you get the loveliness of going back a week later and rereading it and going, oh, actually, this this was quite good. So I would really, it's different for everybody, but personally, I would encourage you to at least experiment with not editing as you go, just mm. getting it down. Absolutely. Lucy, how about you? What does your kind of creative process look like yeah, for, I, for starting? Yeah, I 100% agree with what Bex just said about not editing as you go along. I had this um, this problem with my second book, which, you know, difficult second album, etc. Um, it was really hard to write. And it's because I kept writing a chapter, then starting again. When the next day I'd come back, reread that chapter, rewrite that chapter, get a little tiny bit more done. Then the next day, start again reading and rewrite that chapter, rewrite that tiny extra bit. It was awful. And I just couldn't get my head around it. And um, it was the third book that was my favorite to write and easiest to write for me. And it was just doing what, what Becky just said, like, throwing the words I didn't go back and reread it until I had the base the whole story out on a page um Mm -hmm. and it just made all the difference not kind of obsessing because I mean I know writers that have spent their entire lives writing and rewriting books um or you know even just articles rewriting things and never actually getting to the point where they send something out and put it out there and partly that's probably a bravery thing because it's fucking scary actually sending something that personal um out into the world to an agent or whatever but it's also just because you can just rewrite something forever you can you I mean it also depends on the mood you're in like I've I go back and reread something and I'm like oh my god I am so clever (laughs) so good at this and then the next day reread it I'm like this is the worst thing I've ever I've ever read it's terrible it's so much about kind of uh, where you are in your head um so it it's just about pushing through, getting the word on the page, rereading it and editing it in the right mood, I think. Um, and then being taking that shot and actually pushing yourself out there because it's never going to be perfect. You have to accept that. I think yeah. there's a, maybe an element of um, we, we all consider editing to be a, a sort of process of improvement, but you have to remember that you can also edit something to make it worse. Um, and there is definitely a point at which you need to stop editing it. I've I've definitely gone you know if it's if 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 the quality started at a six uh I've got to the point where I've it's I've edited it up to you know maybe an eight or a nine and then I've edited it back down to a four uh, <laughs> so, so it's, it's like cutting your own hair like if you're going to do it just cut tiny bits don't sort of hang hunk off the front um yeah 
just a tip that occurred to me that I uh, one of my most favorite most useful tips when Lucy was talking about going back to something the next day um it might not work for everybody but I always finish for the day halfway through a paragraph ideally halfway through a sentence so when I come back the next day I'm straight back into what I was doing the day before to avoid the temptation to sort of fiddle around and, and poke and to keep that flow going yeah, I love that. That's such a good good tip because it could be easy to go back and start to want to edit the whole thing you've just done. Yeah, or just to have to try and work yourself back into it. But if you have to pick up halfway through yesterday's thought, it can be that really plunges you straight back into the body of what you're doing. And how about planning? How much do you plan your, both of you, how much do you plan your novels in advance? Do you know what the plot and story is going to be? Or is it a case, like you said, Bex, of kind of mashing your fingers against the keyboard and seeing where it takes you? I'll let Lucy go first on that one because I've just done a lot of talking. (laughs) No, you haven't. You're just wiser than I am. Um, (laughs) Well, for me, and I know that every author has a different way of doing this, um, I am a meticulous planner. I need an idea that's already been approved by my my editor, and then I plan it out. I write detailed character descriptions and then break it down chapter by chapter. Um, Then I literally open like 20-odd Word documents and put in my notes and chapter synopses into each document so that when I then open a document to start a new chapter I'm never opening a blank page Um, lovely I like that like you're leaving yourself little presents yeah it is and then I come to a chapter and I'm like oh that's yeah that was and even little bits of dialogue that I've kind of randomly been thinking about and made notes about I put it into that chapter so that when I come to write it I'm in feeling inspired and I'm like oh yeah and I can continue that conversation that I started writing and it's just I just can't sit down to a blank page (laughs) it's um yeah it's it's just what works for me but I know a lot of people hate planning and they will just write without an idea idea I mean I do deviate while I'm writing from a plan but I am very much a planner (laughs) I I like not having a blank page I think that's a nice thing yeah you make yourself a kind of treasure map um of, of the book before you do it I think that's so lovely um my so what I would say is a lot of the time when you sort of talk about creative writing or on creative writing courses they'll use this expression that you're either a planner or a pantser which is like a planner or you fly by the seat of your pants um and I think a lot of people are somewhere in between also it's kind of a bit of a like it's a bit of a false narrative because when you are writing professionally generally speaking you won't be allowed you won't get paid to write a book until you've basically told them a premise so you said this is a story about this girl. She becomes a governess and this guy, but he's got a wife in the attic and then, and then he goes blind and they all live happily ever after. That sounds um, great. <laughs> I know. Very original. Um, so I feel like it, it's a bit of a myth, this kind of idea of do you plan or not? Because if you're if you're publishing it professionally, you will have had to have planned to some extent. Because I think unless you're like super, you know, if you're Hilary Mantel, probably you can just say, I'd like some money and I'll tell you what it's for later. But your average writer is going to have to have had a relatively sort of standard plan. So I write a sort of this is what's going to happen roughly and also I generally speaking write in two time frames so a, a past and a present usually um so I because I'm quite frightened of the size of the word count because 70,000 words is a fuck of a lot of words if you remember at university you'd have to hand in two and a half thousand words and you'd be like I can't do it I'm just gonna drop out um mm-hmm. so I effectively think about it as I'm going to write two 35,000 word novels uh, and then I break those down and then I stick them back together afterwards. And then if I'm still feeling really stressed, I'll write from multiple different perspectives because then I'm just writing like seven, 10,000 word stories and that's a piece of piss. So I think there's also an element of kind of like reducing each story, each thread or each story down to make it smaller. And then if you're going to plan, you can plan those individually because the idea of planning a whole narrative is is hard, you know? Yeah. And where did you both get um, an understanding of how to how to do this? Were there any, I know, Bexy, you took a few creative writing courses but were there any books or resources that you found really useful in your development of understanding the creative process I suppose Lucy did you do anything in particular no I didn't actually um I've always been a big reader and writer and all of that and obviously um been writing professionally since I was 20 um for magazines and newspapers and that kind of thing but I hadn't ever taken a course or studied fiction really but when I um when I did get my first book deal I um worked very closely with my editor she knew that I didn't have that experience so um for that first book hot mess um 
I was actually sending her uh, 10,000 words a week of kind of where I was. And she knew it was obviously very, you know, rough draft, whatever, but she was able to kind of guide me and, and, and point me in the right directions. It was, it was interesting actually, because when I sort of sent over my initial plan for that first book to her, she, um, she said that I'd quite naturally followed the fiction arc. She kind of drew me a, (laughs) <laughs> drew me a, a diagram of how a lot of fiction works which I'm doing in in my room alone now even though nobody can see me <laughs> but um I think because I had read so much in my life I just kind of naturally had an idea of how um a plot sort of unfolds as it were I don't know but it was um it was definitely a collaborative process and I, I still feel like I'm learning a lot as I go along yeah I think um so I well, you've robbed me of my one true joy, which is when I was working in journalism. I could be like, I've never been trained in journalism, never took a single class in my life, just turned <laughs> up and started being a columnist of the Telegraph. Um, I can't say that about writing because I I worked very 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 hard to be able to write a book. Um, I mean, also I was taught a lot, so I did a master's in creative writing at Royal Holloway, which I couldn't recommend strongly enough. My tutor it was called Kate Williams. She's actually an amazing historical fiction writer. Um, so I did an MA. And I did two Arvin courses, one for each of the first two books that I wrote, um, which are sort of residential courses in the countryside where you go away for a week and you sort of write and get drunk and make friends with people you never see again. Then my sister did one and they've all stayed in touch, so clearly it's just me. Um, and so I did two of those. Uh, I read quite a lot sort of on on writing, but I I sort of studiously avoided reading seven basic plots because everyone always talks about it and I'm contrary like that. Um <laughs> But I would strongly recommend there's um, six characters in search of an author, seven characters in search of an author. Some characters in search of an author by Umberto Eco is really good. Um, and then there's also, I mean, the basic, there's lots and lots of stuff that you can read online, which is helpful to a greater and lesser degree. The thing that really I found life changing was that so on my creative writing MA, um, I was in a group and we workshopped each other's work. And we kept workshopping each other's work for years afterwards. Um, and I only relatively recently stopped doing that. So maybe 18 months ago, stopped doing that. Because um, I sort of outgrew it and it, it became a bit like, I, I, I think they're all incredibly talented, but not, but they're not working professionally. So it's difficult when you have a professional editor who's telling you one thing and people whose opinions you really, really value telling you another. Because you can't really be like, well, actually, Sue from my creative writing group disagrees. And they're mm. like, well, I work for Penguin Random House, so I think I win. Um <laughs> I digress. My point is, if you can find people to workshop with, I think that is the most valuable thing in the world. Uh, But it needs to be people whose opinions you trust. And showing people your uncompleted work is disgusting. Like it's like having somebody put their hand (laughs) up your ass. It's just the worst thing. But it is worth it in the end. I don't think I didn't think fisting was somewhere where we were going to go on this podcast. Well, I know I did. Sorry. <laughs> Can't recommend fisting enough for creativity. <laughs> <laughs> a bit yeah, of inspiration. I you write a book. <laughs> I do think though, reading too much about the process of writing can be quite intimidating and it can be a bit too prosaic. And I think always with these things, just starting is the best way to way to begin. Yeah. Um, how how like, important? Sorry, go on. Like, like Lucy said, just read books. Like literally, read books. When I when I wanted to become a writer properly, I w- I really wanted to make some money because I was very very poor. So I went and read the best selling versions of what I wanted to write. I went, I bought sort of fifty quid's worth of books on Amazon, read them all, worked out what kind of basic structure they all followed, and then recreated one and got it published. Like there is a slightly prosaic element to it as well. For some people, it's you know beautiful, thoughtful, creative process but sometimes it is as simple as oh so that's how you write a book yeah yeah (laughs) how important is the relationship you have with your editors and how much has that structured your journey I suppose in being authors um Lucy starting with you like where did you find your editor and and what's that relationship like oh it's a bit of a tricky one this because um I'm actually on to my third (laughs) okay so well the first editor um was somebody who um because I I got published in quite a weird way in that she approached me directly she was very young and um 
very junior at the publishers that I I'm still with um and she I I still have so much respect for her like because when I was 24 or whatever she was I would not have been brave like she she is and and she so she just sort of saw my writing really liked it saw this article I'd written where I'd specifically you know talked about being single and how we needed a new kind of single woman heroine um and she just said to her bosses we should get this woman to write us this book sort of thing and um, approach me directly. So the bravery of all of that was amazing. And she just, um, I really enjoyed working with her. And then she kind of got poached by another publishing house halfway through writing my second book. Um, So then I was um, working with a different editor who was again, wonderful, um, completely different again. (laughs) Um, And it is very weird when you have two different editors working across the same book because naturally they have sort of very different opinions on things and this is a bit of what Bex was talking about before that that whole thing of like having many people reading your book and offering insight and it's partly why I am kind of averse to it because everybody's got different opinions on things it's such a subjective thing that we're doing writing fiction um and writing at all like every people are gonna love it and hate it like you can't get away from that um so and then and then um just I've just changed editors again so I'm now working with a different editor and I I, we haven't she hasn't edited anything of mine yet so I don't even know so it's been kind of it's difficult it's like um well it's it's a sort of intimate relationship that then I don't really know how to I'm I'm having to be a bit delicate here (laughs) you're doing well I'm not in I'm not in the same situation as Lucy but so my first editor Darcy Nicholson um, at Transworld, who is now at Sphere, she changed my life because I tweeted saying I just finished my first draft of my first book. And she replied, she messaged me saying, can I read it? And then uh, like six, seven weeks later, basically, we were signing a deal, which was life changing Mm -hmm. and enabled me to, you know, have a much better quality of life and and be a professional writer not just uh, my phone bill my phone had been cut off I couldn't I got my card declined buying a copy of Marie Claire that I had written the cover story for and then suddenly everything came together so Darcy then she left um Transworld who published me last year uh yeah last year early this year and I now have a new editor who is also absolutely amazing who who I love but it is it's it's like having a step parent or some it's like being adopted I guess like (laughs) but like as an adult it's a weird transition and it is it's such an intimate relationship I remember I was at drinks once with with Darcy and I mentioned something about oh when I when I get really drunk my teeth go numb and she was like yes I know because that's what happens to every single one of your characters in your books when they get drunk and like she (laughs) knows all these tiny details about me and how I how I work because I've imbued all of these characters with those details. Um, so it is a really emotional, difficult process. But on the upside, I've never had that happen and not loved the person I've been with. And similarly, my nonfiction was bought by um, an amazing editor who then left. So before I'd even started working on it, I moved to my current editor, Vicky Erebo, um, at Orion, at Trapeze, uh, at Orion. And she's absolutely fantastic and wonderful, but completely different. And then the thing that makes it even wilder is when they start publishing it in other countries so truth hurts my most recent fiction and the power of rude my non-fiction are both being published this year later this year in america so then you have an american editor who has a whole different perspective and my american editors again are brilliant huge but my non-fiction um the american version is twenty-five thousand words shorter because they like a much snappier quicker shorter style um so it is a real it's a really difficult balancing act and i think it's where it, you have to learn to not be a sort of artisty artist about it you have to just be like this is my business this is what i do i'm going to provide a service rather than being like my beautiful words Bex, yeah really interesting sorry to interrupt you jelly i just wanted to ask you Bex, um because i've my my books have been published in different languages but never in english so i've never had any kind of idea what they're yeah, doing yeah. when it's in america do they do they kind of consult with you much have you had much back and forth with your american publishers so my my non-fiction edits edits for america were more much more 
sort of specific and took a lot more time than the edits for the British version. Um, some of it was stuff like I had, it's, it's, it's called the power of rude. And it's well, it's actually called rude in America, but it's called the power of rude in the UK. And it's about how women have to learn to be rude and to stop fearing rudeness. And I'd done sort of pen portraits of different women. Um, some of whom really didn't translate to America. So I had to rewrite those and mm. lots of different kind of just little cultural references. There's a very embarrassing one actually, where with fiction, one of my characters, there was a, they were having an exchange and one of them said something along the lines of it's not as bad as I'm, I'm going to make it sound shit but it wasn't that bad but he says it's a beautiful summer she says Indian summer he says I think we're supposed to call it Native American summer now and it's supposed to be a joke because it's actually about yeah. India the country anyway I got the notes back for the American edit and it says something along the lines of would you mind if we removed the joke about indigenous Americans and I was like, oh my god, you think I'm a massive racist? Um, <laughs> it was my character, not me. Um, but yeah, the short answer is there is quite a lot of changes, but I think to a greater or lesser extent, and also they have to go through and change everything, like pant, trousers, pants, garbage, pavement, garbage, sidewalk, sidewalk. Um, and all that stuff is quite pleasing to, to watch them do. Uh, but it is yeah, really, yeah. never publishing is very weird i'm not explaining this to lucy because she will already know this but to everybody else publishing is weird because the territories are strange so you're when you sell a book they'll have the right to publish it in different countries so it might be that they can publish it in america or it's only in australia so the the way that the editions work is a very confusing um sort of mind fuck basically one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Do you have any advice to share for aspiring writers who are looking to get published? Because we both have quite unique routes into it. And I suppose that you're both journalists and you had a, a little bit of an in and it kind of happened quite organically and naturally. But I suppose advice for anyone who doesn't have a relationship uh, with a publisher or an editor and wants to get their work seen. Bex, do you have any ideas? Um, so the traditional route is that you would find an agent and you do that by, I mean, the, the the sort of old school version is that you get the artists and artists and writers yearbook, I think it's called. And there's a big long list of um of writers of, of of agents in there and how to submit to them. And I remember I wanted to buy it, and I think it was like twenty pounds, and I was twenty two, didn't have any money, and some <laughs> some random guy on Twitter offered to buy it for me. Uh, like not even a pervert, just a nice man. Um, but actually, that wasn't how I ended up getting mine. Mine was through my my university sent out an anthology of short of store of sort of stories that we'd written. Um, and my agent Eve White, who is my uh, sort of pseudo second mum and just general saviour, contacted me through that. But yeah, basically, you do you do want an agent. It's for multiple reasons. Number one, most publishing houses don't take open submissions from random from people without agents. Number two, an agent will be able to sort out the legality and the and the finances in a way that you probably won't be able to for yourself. Um, and number three, they will often do some editorial work with you before it goes on submission, which is when they kind of send it to publishing houses. So basically. I would say 
write a full draft. Don't start doing anything until you've written a full draft because all anybody will say is, can we see a full draft? And then you lose momentum. So write your book, write the book that only you can write, write the book that you want to write, write the book that gets your dick hard, like the thing that you wake up in the morning thinking, I can't wait to write that. Uh, Finish it, give it a good polish, get somebody you quite like to give it a read. Uh, tell them that you want them to be honest though you'd also like a heavy heavy sprinkling of praise Uh, send it out to a load of agents I would pick my agent personally by um, working out which writers I see myself aligned with who am I similar to who do I admire be realistic like don't don't think well I'd like to be Leanne Moriarty so I'll send it to Leanne Moriarty's agent um go for you know where you think you're going to be in the market and maybe slightly more accessible send them your they'll have their submission guidelines on the website send them like adhere to their submission guidelines because they're there for a reason and then wait and basically wait until they come back to you you will inevitably get some rejections I had a rejection from an agent who said that a book was not worthy of representation and then it got published by a you know, top publisher so there are lots there will be people who say no and there'll probably be people who say you're a great writer but it's not for me or I like the book but I'm not really looking that that's just part of the course and there's no limit to how many agents you can submit to um then if an agent likes you they'll take you for coffee or for lunch or whatever try and get a lunch out of them before you start paying them 15 percent of everything you earn um and then you then you've got to work out if you like each other get a flow get a relationship see if you like them and trust their opinion and then honestly once you've got an agent they will very lot they'll guide you through it from there amazing lucy do you have anything to add <laughs> that was pretty comprehensive i liked it <laughs> the thing i um i would add as well is that you just can't let the rejection get to you because you are going to get rejected and it's it's like what bex just said like you you have no idea why they're rejecting it it's 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 more often than not nothing to do with your writing. It might just be that the agent's just sold a very similar project or is trying to sell something very much like yours and therefore, or, or you know, just has decided to go a different direction um, in terms of genres. It's so completely um, subjective and you cannot let the uh, the nose get you down and you've got to just keep trying, keep going. Yeah. Just um, stick would, with it. I would also say um, no agent should ever charge you any money um the only thing that you might ever pay for is an editing service um they are a bit of a some people like some people don't you can pay some people as a sort of editorial consultant to read your book edit it proofread it and give you some thoughts that's not necessarily a bad thing but you should never ever ever pay an agent and you should it's it's much like those fake modeling agencies from when we were teenagers just basically don't give anybody any money without being really really sure that you should be giving them money and do your research before you pay anybody anything yeah, yes. definitely. I also would say, um, I think Twitter's a really good um, way to kind of look up who you're really interested in as well. Um, obviously, as Beck said, they've got submission guidelines on their websites. But if you're looking up a particular agent that, you know, um, you know, looks after somebody you think is similar or the right kind of genre, look them up on Twitter, because quite often, not only do they have their sort of email address and stuff on there, but they might actually say on their Twitter feed, uh, I'm looking for this kind of book at the moment, or I'm really keen to sign a few more at the moment. I've, Or, or they might say, I'm not taking submissions at the moment. So you know not to waste your time. I just think it's a, been a really good tool for for people looking for an agent on Twitter. I think it really helps. It's a, such a small thing, but if you've had any kind of, don't like bombard them with tweets, but if they, if you are sort of subconsciously in their mind as a name that exists, mm-hmm. when you pop into the inbox, sometimes it helps a little bit. Um, and also publishing houses do really like the idea of people having um, social media followings. So while it is in no way essential, and you do not need to go out and become an influencer before you can write a book. If you do have something of a social following, it's no bad thing to demonstrate that you're savvy and that you can use it as a marketing tool. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. That was so useful. Um, I've got a couple of questions from Twitter. We like to end every episode with some questions from our audience. So first off, I've got a question from Felicity who asks, do you think of the ending first and work your way back? And do you create character profiles before starting or write them as you go? Bex, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, I think I've possibly been a little bit lazier about that as time has gone on in terms of character profiles. Uh, with Perfect Liars, which is my first book, like I could tell you like where all of them were born and what their middle names are, and like I could tell you absolutely everything about all of them. With the third one, I st- I kind of I've honed my technique now, but I still very much will have a sense of a, a really full backstory and um you know birthday and all that kind of stuff because I think it can be jarring for a reader if somebody's uh, you know birthday changes halfway through. Um, and then in terms of the ending, yes, absolutely. 
I do plan out what the ending is going to be, but I don't work backwards from there. I kind of work, I don't know, in a sort of non-linear fashion. I kind of think about, it, it varies with books as well. Like sometimes I'll have like an idea of a closing scene that might be a real gut punch or I might have a sort of middle bit. So I, I it, it very much varies from story to story. But like we said before, um, when you're writing professionally, you will probably have had to have told your editor what the ending is going to be in order to get paid to write it. Unless yeah. you're like Norman Mailer. Norman Mailer's dead. <laughs> I don't know. I think Norman Mailer is dead. I don't Need know. to Wikipedia that one. Uh, Lucy, do you have anything to add on that? I suppose you're a, a very thorough planner, yeah. so you would know the and ending actually, and the characters. Um, yeah, that sort of ties in together because I do do character profiles. Um, um, but also I quite like to write down within that profile where I want them to end up emotionally or physically or whatever. So what kind of journey they're going on so that I remind myself of the progress they're making throughout while I'm writing. So, um, and in terms of the, the ending, I do have an idea while I'm writing it. I do know how it's going to end. Um, but I don't, I don't think necessarily endings are as as key in the genre of rom-com, com-com or whatever it is I do. Um, something like Beck, the, the, the amazing book Specs writes, which are so twisty and turny. Um, that's, I think an ending is much more crucial. So probably needs a lot more thinking. About. I just like to do nice, happy endings, maybe non-traditional happy endings, but happy endings nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. I think, I, mean, I think there is an element of it. Yeah, absolutely. Some books you read because you want to be in their world and you want to get to know them. And it's, and, and what Lucy writes is very much like you want to, you want to spend time there and it's a place where you're connecting with people on a quite a human level. Whereas when you're writing more kind of thrillery stuff, it is basically, there's an element of like, hopefully you're enjoying it, but you're pointed at the end. The end is supposed to be the reward for finishing the book. Um, and it's, and I love writing thrillers, but one of the things that I do find that makes me would like makes me would like <laughs> good words um one of the things that makes me feel like I'd like to write in another genre would be to kind of to give to pr- produce a reader experience which isn't entirely about rushing to finish it because people keep saying oh it was great I finished it in a day I read it in four hours and it's like oh good that took me six months <laughs> fab the uh the next question is from Mara who asks how do you deal with writer's block and any tips for converting ideas into the actual writing Bex, writer's block. I suppose um, that's also very relevant for right now because I think a lot of people do feel quite frozen by what's going on in the world. Yeah. We can't find creativity. I mean, firstly, Norman Miller. So that's sad. But he was quite old. He was born in 1923. <laughs> Secondly, writer's block. Um, I would say, so I did a playwriting course at university where this very successful, can't remember her name, playwright came and talked to us and she said the thing about writing is it's a bit like having a poo you shouldn't do it until you're really ready and you need to um and I think sometimes writer's block is a symptom of something like you're not writing the right story or it's not working sometimes it's just that you're having a rubbish day but sometimes it's because a scene isn't working or a chapter isn't working or a character is wrong so listen to the writer's block because it's an instinct like any other um I would say there's a real difference between I tend to call procrastination writer's block that's not writer's block you're only blocked if you're sitting at the computer or sitting in front of the piece of paper trying and doing the things that usually work and they're not working if you're in bed watching Gilmore Girls that's not writer's block that's that you're not writing Um, so I would say from my point of view I you know I don't generally suffer from it because I was trained as a journalist I trained I was a journalist I guess I trained as a journalist um so if if you say to your editor sorry I won't be writing an article today I've got writer's block they'll say well that's fine I just won't be paying you anymore I get out um so I think there's an element of just not accepting it from yourself um sit down start writing there's always something you can do you can write some character descriptions you can write try writing stuff that's not necessarily going to go in the final book you can try writing you know uh, sometimes I write the dedication or the or the acknowledgements but move your fingers on a keypad or move your fingers around a pen and then if it's really still not working and you given it every possible go then work out what it is that's blocking you are you afraid are you worried about failing is it that there's a problem structurally but it will be telling you something yeah Lucy do you have anything for overcoming writer's block and also on the second part of the question about tips for converting ideas into actual writing um ideas for me I I have to sort of just write whatever is in my brain down um as much as possible and then once I've sort of done a a 
brain dump onto a piece of paper I then need to sort of percolate a bit and I find that once that's happening those few weeks um I'm constantly making notes and having my um phone nearby and making notes and then when I come to planning it all out I've got quite a lot of ideas and that also um helps me when I am (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if I would call it writer's block because it is what Bex just said for me. Mostly it's just that I can't start watching Netflix. <laughs> but, um, yeah. <laughs> sometimes it just really helps me to go back and just look through all my notes and remember moments where I felt inspired. And then I just want to write a bit more because I, I'm excited by the ideas that I've written down. So I don't know if that helps you, but it, it helps me. I mean, I, I feel like I don't really have an answer to overcoming um, creative blocks like that. And it drives me mad because different things seem to work for, for me dif- at different times. So sometimes leaving my work alone for a week works, sometimes pushing through works and sometimes being alone works, sometimes taking it out, taking, you know, myself out and talking to other people. It's it's just, you know, such an individual thing. You just have to get through it and survive it. I think also one of the things I would say is that I, I believe that real writers block as opposed to procrastinate is very very rare but if you are genuinely blocked I would say changing your um physical situation so going out for a walk I know it's difficult at the moment but going out for a walk trying a different room sitting in a different position putting some different music on but kind of poke yourself with external stimulus and see what starts to make you change mm, that's really useful thank you and the final question is from Matt Sayer who would like to know about your morning and writing routine any ways to avoid procrastination that's a constant battle and do you do morning pages Bexy what even are morning pages um I think they're pages you write in the morning maybe um, I think I it's from that book The Artist's Way yeah I mean I haven't read that book so maybe uh my I would say the most a I love this question because it makes me feel like I'm doing like a Sunday supplement like Rebecca reads perfect <laughs> weekend um but um, I would say that my the key to my daily routine in terms of writing has been to work out what my natural rhythm is. And I am actually only really a very good writer between about three o'clock and 5.30. Um, so I in the morning, I will do all my admin and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I'll usually piss about until about lunchtime. Then I'll have lunch like one. And then after lunch, I will do proper thinking. Like I'll sit and think or I'll make notes, but I'll be, it'll look like I'm having a nap, <laughs> but I'm genuinely not. Um, and then at about 2.30, this wave of guilt will come over me that I haven't achieved very much. And that is like lightning in a bottle, 2.30 in the afternoon, I'm at my desk and I will write about 8,000 words in two and a half hours without looking up. And then at five, about 5.30, basically as it gets close to time for the bar to open, I'll slowly come back out of my fever and and time will have passed. The best is in the in the autumn when you look up and it's got dark and you haven't noticed. It's a really great feeling. Um, and, and it'll be like that on a really, really good productive day. On a bad product, on a bad day, it'll be admin, filling things, finding other things to do. Um, my friend Madeline Spencer and I talk a lot about micro writing where you – scratch the writer's itch by doing something that isn't productive so you write a long instagram caption or you send your friend a long whatsapp so you you go through the motions of writing but you haven't made you haven't achieved anything so i have to try and starve myself of those little writers like crutches throughout the day um when i'm being lazy and then uh some days it's just reading and editing and reading and editing over and over again um and one of the things that's been really hard as I've kind of segued into doing lots of different creative projects is that I will be doing at any one point, like at the moment I'm writing my next book and I'm writing a screenplay. Um, and I'm also doing sort of little bits and bobs for other people. So it's balancing it out and being able to get your teeth into it. And I think even if you're writing non-professionally, you probably have a job and you're trying to do this. So I would say like making a plan, carving out sacrosanct time for you to be working on one specific project is really healthy, but also allowing yourself to be like positively distracted. If you feel that that day you'd really, really like to be working on chapter seven rather than the beginning, then do it, flow with it. Yeah, amazing. Lucy, what's your routine? I feel, um, I was just thinking what Beck said about how, you know, most people have to go and do a job, don't they? I feel very privileged to, to be able to actually just write at the moment anyway. Um, and I treat it a bit like the way, um, I feel about the gym. Like if I don't go in the morning, if I don't do some exercise in the morning, I won't do it 
for the rest of the day. So I'm a bit like I have to do some writing in the morning or I won't do anything all day. I will just watch Netflix all day. So I do try and I, I'm quite lazy generally. <laughs> so I will have like a lazy coffee in bed with my dogs um, and then I will write stuff. So the word races I've been doing every weekday are really brilliant because that's like the very least I do. And I absolutely have to do that because partly because I'm a competitive son of a bitch, but also because it's like that <laughs> sort of peer pressure, isn't it? That a couple of other people are doing it with me. So I have to join in. Um but yeah, generally I am best in the morning um, and then maybe a little bit of work in the afternoon, evening if I'm really into it. But I just kind of, I wish I'd figured out my routine, but I really haven't. <laughs> I think it's okay if your routine changes and moves a bit as well. Like it's sometimes it's sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. Sometimes I go to meetings, sometimes I have a very long bath. There isn't like a right or wrong way. Yeah, especially at the moment, I think you have to be very compassionate and kind to yourself. Yeah, and I think, but the only thing I would say, um, sort of, to my biggest learning is that actually I was most productive when I had to be doing other work, like when I had to be nannying or when I had to have a full time job, and I would go into a meeting room at lunchtime or I would write when the kids were sleeping, and I would have an hour to write, and that that was all I had. So I just I wrote because I had to, um, and I think sometimes like at the moment having too much time can actually make it harder rather than easier um there's a thing called the pomodoro method where you basically put on a timer and you write until the timer goes off and then you can stop and i think putting those sort of artificial boundaries in place particularly at the moment might be really helpful for some people yeah absolutely guys thank you so much this has been an incredibly useful and i think very comforting episode because for i think a lot of people they think they see best-selling authors and they think that they have this amazing structure going on and they don't have self-doubt and they're not critical of themselves and i think hearing um you guys be so open and honest about the process has been very comforting and will inspire a lot of people so i thank you for that if uh, people would like to find out more about you and follow you online where should they go bexy i know you're taking a twitter break but you can follow me, but I won't be saying I will be, you'll be part of the problem. Um, and I lock my Instagram. So just, I tell you what, buy my book. I'd love it if you bought my book. Um, or drop me an email. My email's in my Twitter bio. If you want to be pen pals, drop me an email. Or yeah, just please buy my book. But do you want to remind them of the name of your books? Oh yeah, they're called Truth Hurts and Perfect Liars. Uh, those are both thrillers. Super fun, sexy. Truth Hurts has just been optioned to be a telly programme. Um, or you can pre-order my non-fiction, The Power of Rude, which is a kind of self-help book. If somebody who ate four tea cakes yesterday can write a self-help book. <laughs> and uh, Lizzie, uh, where should they go online? And if they um, want to buy your books? You can buy my books most places, I believe. Um, Hot Mess, Are We Nearly There Yet? And What Fresh Hell are the names of the books. Next one's out next year. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. That's where I mostly am. Um, it's the initials L-E-C-V. That's my username, which I deeply regret. Thanks very much. <laughs> I didn't Amazing. Thank you so Thank much, you. guys. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate and review the podcast so more people can find it. You can also follow me on social media at Jelly Malin on all platforms. There's two new episodes out every week, so subscribe now so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.